Right here, you should insert some applause or like cheering or I something. Can do that. Yeah. Okay. Hi, everyone. Happy holidays and welcome to Writing in Real Life, a podcast about writing, parenthood, publishing, and marriage. I'm Morgan Baden, and with me is my co-host and my husband, Barry Liga. Hello. Hi. This is our holiday episode. Ho, ho, ho. Yes, just like that. Um, it, it, we were recording this exactly a week before Christmas. Yeah. And um, six days, six before, days before, Hanukkah. before Hanukkah. Right. Yeah. And we are um, one of those many, many families who celebrates both. Yeah. Right. It, it seems like that is more and more common. Now. Right. When yeah. I was a kid, it was very unusual. Ah. Uh, uh, but it seems more and more common. Yeah. Now. And I should say we celebrate both because of you, not because of <laughs> <Right>. me. <laughs> um, but so we are hosting Christmas here. And then a few days later, we're hosting Hanukkah here, which is very exciting. Yeah. But what I want to talk about first is something that's been vexing me a little bit, which is um, our kid's birthday is in October, the end of October. And then I feel like we immediately go into the holiday season. And how, what do you buy for the kid who already has everything? And well, not yeah. even, yeah, and not even that she has everything, but I guess I should say, what do you buy for the kid who doesn't need a thing? Yeah, I, I, I feel like that's a pretty, uh, I mean, hashtag first world problems. Uh, but, 100%, yes. But yeah, we're in the yeah. first world and this is our problem. Yeah. Um, it doesn't mean, the problem doesn't go away just because it's in the first world. Right, yeah. So uh, it's this funny thing yeah. because... Up until like, what, two weeks ago, I feel like we were like, oh, right, we have to get our kid Christmas presents. Yeah. Because they have to be from, there has to be something from Santa and something from us, probably. And then Hanukkah presents. But she just had a birthday, which we also struggled with this for her birthday, too, because we have, we have a fairly large extended family when you combine them. And they're all generous and want to buy things for our kid, which is very lovely. And so I just feel like when these when these moments come, um, we come up with a list, and sometimes even the list is a stretch. Yeah. Of well, like we were in a situation where we were like, we don't want to buy her things just for the sake of buying her right, things. Right. Yeah. We want to get her things that she needs or things that will delight her in some way. Right. Yeah. And uh, and and that was an issue because you know she's a very fortunate little girl. She has what she needs. Yeah. Um. And so, yeah, we were sort of stretching to try to come up with something to make it a festive holiday for her. Yeah. So what I really try and do is think of things that, like, arts and crafts type of things that um, aren't necessarily time sensitive or seasonal or anything like that. So, you know, you can never have too many coloring books, I feel like. Right. Well, especially because you finish a coloring book. Exactly. Yeah. And then you need another one. Right. Your crayons wear down and you need new ones. Right. Yeah. Your markers run out of ink. Your paint goes dry. All those. Yeah. So crafts are always good. Yeah. Another thing that's always good for her, oddly enough, I feel like it's pajamas. <laughs> I feel like this kid never has enough pajamas. Yeah, it's true. Um, although I actually feel like we have a decent amount now, but uh, but it is funny. But but yeah, so we split up this list, and and then I feel like once we've done the list and, and divvied it up amongst our families for the different holidays, uh, suddenly we look at each other and think, oh, wait, we have to buy our kids something. Right. <laughs> so, um, so this will be our first Christmas in our house, which yeah. is really exciting. And, um, yeah, do you have any thoughts about that? Um, I, I water the tree a lot. You do, daily. <laughs> the tree a needs house. a lot of, we have a very, very dry house. <laughs> um, it's dry like a martini, man. And, uh, we... I will say it's not dirty like a martini, it's though. It's not dirty like, it's dirty <sighs> Just... in the way only houses can be dirty. <laughs> uh, but it's a very dry house, yeah. The, the tree needs a lot of watering. Um, 
yeah, I think it's going to be fun to actually have people mm-hmm. over. You know, we had decided because you're what, 16 months pregnant at this Basically. point? Basically. Are you ever going to have the baby? No. No? It's just going to... feeling like just, no. Just stay in there and get bigger and bigger uh-huh. and bigger? Okay. So you're absurdly pregnant, and we decided <laughs> a while ago that... You're we lucky will... I don't take offense to things like that, by the way. <laughs> we... We decided a while ago that as of a certain date, we're just not going anywhere. Yeah. For a number of reasons, one of which is just really uncomfortable for you yeah. to be in the car for more than 20 minutes at a time. I mean, it's uncomfortable for me to be doing literally anything, anything yeah. including sitting. So. But the other, any other reason was we just want to stay close to home base yeah. in case the baby comes early. Yeah. We know that we are exactly 12 minutes away from our hospital <laughs> and uh, we would like to stay 12 minutes away from our hospital. And so we told family a while ago... Hi, we love all of you and we love the holidays, but if you want to see us, you're coming here because we're not going to you. <laughs> yeah. So everybody is coming here. Yeah. Which I suppose is payback for the Thanksgiving episode in which I made a joke about how I love Thanksgiving because I don't ever have to cook. I just show up with a pie. <laughs> exactly. Now we're, we have to do everything. payback time. Which is fine. Yeah. It'll be lovely. I'm excited. Okay. Um, so I want to move on to something really cool, speaking of babies. And um, my friend Erica... I actually know her from Girls Right Now. We volunteer together as mentors, and she's a she's a writer, and she has a new essay in The Atlantic as of a couple of weeks ago, um, and it's about how much babies and kids remember. Oh. It's called Traces of Time Lost. Obviously, you can find this in the show notes, but um, I, was re- I was really intrigued by this essay for two reasons. Number one, every kid I know has surprised me at some point with their capacity for memory, oh. and number two, because you have a really good memory. I do. And you've talked about how you have very early memories, right? Yeah. Yeah. You have a very vivid memory of what, bringing your brother home from the hospital. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, I do. Yeah. So I, I want to talk about this because, um, basically it was thought for a very long time, hundreds and hundreds of years that babies and kids had no memories Yeah. and you didn't start forming them until like puberty. Um, but since the eighties and nineties, there's been more and more evidence that even babies can learn and retain information um, over short stretches of time. So um, I'm going to pull some quotes here from Erica's essay because she does a really good job. A, it's, a, it's just an enjoyable read about her own child um, and, and her memories. So she says, but questions remained, what kinds of memories endured? What kinds were lost? How long could these early memories stick around? And when and why did most eventually disappear for good? So the idea is that kids, they're, they're discovering and babies can remember things as early as even before they're a year old and sometimes as early as one month old, which is crazy. Yeah. So they've got these memories. They've got this bank of memories that they lose by the time they're like 10 or 12. So um, so I was wondering, well, then, like, what is the point of those memories? You know what I mean? Like, if, if it's something right. that – if a kid's going to remember all this stuff and then lose it a decade later, what's the function of that memory anyway? So here's the kicker, and this is my favorite part. She says, Childhood memories we lose remain with us, albeit in different form as the underpinnings of our morality and instincts. So this is something I've always thought of because, like, if kids don't remember things before a certain point, then uh, what about childhood traumas? Or the opposite. Like, what is the difference between a, a baby who had a terrible babyhood versus one who had a wonderful babyhood? How does that change who that person becomes? Uh, and it turns out that obviously it does, but now they're finding the scientific evidence for it. So if you're a baby and somebody is mean to you, it's not that you'll remember 
that that meanest. person was mean to right. you, but you may just not like that person. Right. Yeah. See that, that actually makes me nervous. Cause it's like, <laughs> it's like, Oh, so like if you're like with your baby and your baby is crying and screaming and driving you crazy and you're like, Oh my God, just shut up. And no. you think, well, she'll never remember that. But now your baby will hate you forever. Yeah. That's exactly what this essay that's said. That's what I it think. means to me. Yeah. Yeah. But then again, I'm Catholic that and was, Jewish. That was great analysis there. Like, sure. <laughs> no, but really, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, no, it is. And it makes sense if you think about it, because I think, you know, I, I remember when, when my best friend and his wife had their kids, um, one of the things that they talked about was how they came to realize that they were idiots and their kids were the smart <laughs> ones because the kids would say, oh, you know, let's go do this. And they'd say, no, we can't do that. And they'd say, no, but you said we could. We were at this place at this time and yeah. you were wearing this and you said exactly. And the kids remembered every every bit of it Mm -hmm. and the parents were like oh right we forgot like we're stupid and it makes sense because kids have less to remember right so it makes sense that they would be able to remember everything Mm -hmm. whereas the older you get the more information is in your brain and the brain is a limited organ Mm -hmm. you know it's not it's not infinite there's no infinite storage space and so you have to purge things right you know and you forget about things and i think you know i mean our kid reminds us to give her her vitamin at dinner uh-huh. if we forget Our she'll kid. look at us and she'll go vitamin yeah <laughs> she hasn't got the tea down yet but she'll go vitamin and we're like oh that's right, right. vitamin yeah like, we gotta uh, give her a vitamin this kid would not get her vitamin 50 percent of the time if she did not remind us about it which is remarkable about 50 percent well but... if i were in charge of her it would be 50 <laughs> um but, but it's true like she remembers because to her it's one of like five things that right, she has yeah, to remember, to remember yeah. we've got a million things we have to remember <laughs> That's the other thing is that literally every morning, still, it is Dece- the last the last half of December, yeah. she says to me, is Halloween over? Right. And we go through the same routine every morning. And I say, yes. And she says, we dressed up in costumes. And, we, and then she tells me who she dressed up as and who you dressed up as. Today, for the first time, she switched it up a little mm. bit and said, I can't, I, I want to do Halloween again. Oh. And I was like, oh. That's interesting. Yeah. So, I don't know. It was, it was funny. But it is really neat to to watch her memory form mm-hmm. and to see what she remembers and what she doesn't. Oh yeah. Yeah. Definitely. The other day, the other day it was time to go to bed and we said to her, it's time to go upstairs and go to bed. And she said, yeah, wash hands, brush teeth, change diaper. That's get in bed. Like she knew the routine uh-huh. and she just rattled it off. And I was yep. like, that's awesome. Like she remembers this. Yeah. That was cool. Anyway, take a look at this essay. I thought it was really cool. Um, and lots of uh, Erica goes into the differences between episodic memory and known memory. So, mm. you know, actually remembering the moment itself versus remembering being told about the moment, yeah. which is uh, one yeah. of my big problems. I, I genuinely sometimes don't remember two things. A, whether it's a known memory or if I'm remembering the actual moment, or B, if it's something that happened to me or my twin sister. Right. So, um, so there's an extra layer of freakiness there. I think, too, you know, there are certain things where, you know, like I have a very distinct memory of being a kid and, and I tell this story all the time when I travel and my grandmother saying, what do you want to be when you grow up? Uh. And me saying, I want to be a writer. And she said, oh, that's nice. You want to starve. <laughs> and I, it, yeah, I, I get a big laugh out of that when I tell that story. But I think I remember that so well because I have told it so often. Of course, often, yeah. You know, and so it has become more and more real to me. And you talked before about the memories I have from childhood, like with my my brother. And I think that's because there was a person to connect them to. Mm. I have a lot of memories of my brother. I was about three and a half, almost four when my brother was born. Uh, and I have a lot of memories from when he was a baby. And it's because it was about him. 
Oh, interesting. So, you know, and they're reinforced every time I see him or talk to him yeah. because these are things about him. Yeah. Um, and I think it helps when you have that sort of a connection as opposed to if it's just a memory of I ate Pop-Tarts. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Anyway, everyone go take, take a look at the article. Meanwhile, let's talk about sex. Wait a minute. You said we would never talk about sex on this show. I want to talk about sex in YA. Oh, or, that's boring. Or, more appropriately, um, love and romance in YA. They're not the same thing, Morgan. Of course they're not. Didn't anybody ever tell you this? <laughs> but you sent over an, a piece in Book Riot. Yeah. And I want us to talk about it because yeah. I was really intrigued by it. It was a guest piece by V. Nadu called On Normalizing Teen Singlehood in YA. Um, so the, the truth is that most teens are actually single. She says in her essay, I think it's something like 41%, only 41% of teens are are in or have been in a romantic relationship yeah. um, at the point of the survey. But YA does not reflect that if you take a look at it. It's actually really hard to find a YA book that um, doesn't have some sort of romance element to it. Yeah. So um, the question that Vina Du raises is, shouldn't YA novels reflect the lives of their target readership? Now, that's a... That's like a broader question. Uh, yeah, that's a very broad question. And that's actually not what I want to talk about right now. Thank God. <laughs> what I do want to talk about is this idea of teens and relationships and um, teens and romance. So, listen, I like romance. That's fine. But a straight-up YA novel that is only about a teen looking for love, where, like, the driving force is... I need a boyfriend or I need a girlfriend or I'm obsessed with that girl or boy. That drives me freaking crazy. Oh, yeah, me too. Yeah. And um, like particularly when there are characters who just love the chase above all else. Like I just finished a novel by by Ann Packer, Songs Without Words. It was actually published quite a few years ago. Um, And it's not YA, it's adult, but there is a teenage character in it who ends up having some mental health issues but the first half of the book, she drove me crazy before I realized that's the direction the author was going in because she was so obsessed with a boy at her school. And it, it really bothered me. And then I realized that that was obviously, um, you know, leading to something else and to some other characterizations there. But, uh, but even in my real life, <laughs> when I was a teen, those kinds of friends of mine drove me crazy yeah. where it was all about the boys all the time. So... You were kind of a serial monogamist. Is that fair to say? Okay. Yeah. Is that fair to say? Sure. Yeah. I was not. Yeah. My default was always single. Um, my brother was a serial monogamist. And what? You say it like serial killer. No, but I'm just ahead. saying it's one of those things. Like, we, I mean, we all know people who, uh, I had several friends who were just constantly in these like intense long-term relationships. And the yeah. second they would break up with someone, they would have like, two days to themselves and then would immediately have another partner um and i always just felt like dude you're 15 like figure out who you are first well i want to say i did not start no serial monogamy until i was like 17 okay so okay that's fine that's fine (laughs) yeah i mean it's fine regardless yeah no i'm just saying it's just one of those things that maybe it's just a particular pet peeve of mine but i'm glad to see this being talked about more because i don't think that teens whole focus should be on finding a partner and um, I thought about this more when I was reading Nancy Jo Sale's American Girls and Social Media, which I talked about a few episodes ago, where the driving force behind a lot of social media is a- attracting the opposite sex. Right. Um, 
And I always just keep going back to like, but why? Who cares? But why? Who cares? I obviously know the reasons why and, and the pressures and things like that. But anyway, but so here's what I'm, get, what I'm getting at here. This long entry into this is I think a lot of people look for books that where romance isn't the driving factor. But I have heard over and over again from agents that there has to be a romantic element to a book. Really? Yes. Huh. Have you heard that? No. Um, I mean, I deliberately have spent a good chunk of my career fighting against that. Uh-huh. Yeah, fighting is perhaps a little exaggerated, but resisting that, I guess. Okay. You know, everybody was disappointed by the end of The Astonishing Adventures of Fanboy and Goth Girl because uh. they wanted the two of them to hook up. And I was like, no. Yeah. Doesn't work out that way. And then at the end of the sequel, they still didn't hook up. Uh-huh. And everybody's like, what are you doing to us? And I'm like, you know what? This is life. Yeah. Um, and I, I feel like I feel like it's it's irresponsible to present a, a world to teenagers in which everybody has this mad, crazy, passionate, intense love in yeah, high school. Yeah. I didn't. No. I didn't. And I understand the drive for that and the need for that. I understand the social pressure pressures. I understand the biological imperatives that are at work. Like I get all of that. I lived through it. But I feel like it's crazy to say to kids, if if you haven't matched up by the time you're 16, there's something wrong. There's with something you. wrong with yeah, you. Yeah, you're never going to find true love because God knows I hadn't matched up by the time I was 16, and I thought there was something wrong with yeah. me. I knew I knew a girl in high school who had a couple of long term serious boyfriends, and with each one, like I'm not kidding, she had planned out their their wedding date yeah. and their wedding itself. And this was a, a smart woman. Like, yeah. you know, and I'm just like, I, I just, where does that come I from? I also know, I mean, most high school relationships don't end well. Of course not. You know, and, and it's like the, that first, um, first semester freshman year of college when everyone suddenly breaks up with the high school boyfriends that right. they, they tried to hang on right. to. And, and it's one of those things where, you know, like, why would it would feel weird to end a story with this wonderful burgeoning romance when you're pretty sure it's going to end? Yeah, soon, that's you know, I have always and thought that when I read YA. Yeah. So, like, if you look at most of my books, there's either not a romance or it's clear that the romance is troubled. Um, you know, spoilers, but the end of the I Hunt Killer series, you've got Jazz and Connie mm-hmm. who have been a really tight couple throughout. And by the end of the series, you learn that five years after the series ends, they're sort of still together. Yeah, yeah. That's just real life, man. Yeah. And, and yeah, I, I'm, I'm not comfortable writing stories where people that young just become joined at the hip. Right. And forever and ever. It because just feels a, weird. A, because I don't think that's particularly healthy most of the time. Yeah, I mean, look, I know people who sure. who grew up that way and, you know, met the love of their life when they were 17 and and that, you know, Marshall and Lily from How I Met Your Mother, <laughs> you know? And it, it's like, it does happen. Sure. I don't want to say that it's a myth because it does happen. But I feel like it's something that has taken on mythic proportions mm. in our culture. Yeah. And that makes it weird and dangerous and, yeah. and strange. Yeah. And I want to clarify too, like, I love a good romantic comedy. Yeah. I love, I, I love love as well. And I, I think the difference is when I go watch a romantic comedy film, I know what I've signed up for. I have signed up for those two characters to end up together. Yeah. And for me to see that and see that through. Right. 
But I just don't know if we need that in every YA novel. And I mean, I think, I think the success, the massive success of the Twilight books mm. has had a, a warping effect on young adult. Uh, I know as an ev- industry, you mean? Yeah, uh-huh. I think everybody is going. God, Barry Twilight was a million years ago. Yeah. I know it was, but realize that a lot of the agents and editors and publishers who are working now were there when that happened yeah. and had some of their opinions formed by that. And one of the big things, you know, nobody was like, "Oh, it's a vampire book. I have to read it." They're like, "No, it's a romance, right. With a vampire, yeah." And I think as a result, you do have a lot of people in the field, writers, editors, publishers, agents, who feel like there needs to be an intense romance, if not plot, at least subplot yeah. to make the book palatable to that demographic. I disagree. Um, you know, part of that could be that I just don't know how to write romance. So, <laughs> so I'm, 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 you know, hewing to, to what I'm good at sticking to my knitting as, as it were. But I just, yeah, I, I think a lot of people have that opinion. I'm surprised somebody actually said that to you. Um, yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen it in a lot of, a lot of places yeah. over the years, um, maybe less so now than five years ago. I don't know, but but for certain, I've had both critique readers and agents say you need to amp up the romance in this, or mm, no, this person over here needs to be a romantic interest, and you have to rewrite that scene. And I can say, no, in ten years of doing this, nobody has ever asked me to ramp up the romance wow. or anything like that. Now that could be for a couple of reasons. One could be it's because I'm a guy. Mm-hmm. Um, could be, I'm, yeah. I'm considered to be a boy book writer. Um, in that case, you would think they would at least ask me to increase the sex. <laughs> um, but nobody has ever asked me to do that. Mm. Um, but I'm not. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, p- people are gonna. People think there's a formula and there's not right, a formula. Right, yeah, yeah. But they think there's a formula and they think romance is part of the formula. So yeah. they're going to tell you that. Anyway, in, in summary, I love a good romance. I'm fine with teens yes, having don't, romances. Don't send hate mail. Morgan, <laughs> Morgan is not a romance hater. <laughs> but I just would like to see a little bit more diversity in the YA genre regarding singlehood. Yeah, because, I mean, if you think about it, even something like The Hunger Games, which is yep. a rock'em, sock'em adventure story, and let's, you know, knock <laughs> I, out I the I want to see that on the, on the cover. Uh, you know what? You know what? <laughs> That's the tagline. I am there. I'm happy to provide that blurb. Um, <laughs> even something like that. You've got her choosing between two guys, and, mm-hmm. and which is like, oh, yeah, the world's ending, but I have to pick between two boyfriends. Right, like, right. It's like, really? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's... And, and, and I doubt anybody told her to do that, but she f- felt like it needed to be there. Mm. Um, and it's the same thing with, with a lot of stories I've read where it's like, oh, wait, now the action has to stop for a moment so that the hero or heroine yeah. can, can stress about their relationship. Yeah. Like, eh, I don't know. Anyway, I'd like to hear other people's thoughts on this. Yes, I would love, especially if there's any other writers out there, but also readers, people who read these books. Yeah. Like, like, do like you, maybe you're saying, do you uh, feel like a book no, is naked if there's no romance in right. it, or do you, well, are you tired wanna, of it too? I want to clarify the difference too between, you know, there's a lot of middle ground there. It doesn't just have to be no romance right. or all romance. I, like, I'm fine with like whispers of romance or yeah. hints of it, or you know, a character is introduced at some point and you think, oh, I bet in, in this fictional world in five years they end up together right. and that's cute. You know, like yeah. I like that kind of stuff. Sure. It's just the the driving force really sometimes throws me off yeah. for teens. So, okay. Well, it's just the fact that it's everywhere. 
Right. That it's just so pervasive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So moving on. Um, you sent me a link to something that was really cool. I'm sending you lots of good links. I know. I know. What's that about? Listen, I'm really busy. <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed. <laughs> I, you're not really doing anything. The baby just grows whether you do anything or not. It's not like you have to focus on it and concentrate. You have no idea. Oh, I know. <laughs> anyway, we've talked it was probably a couple months ago on this podcast about um, age of debut yep. authors. Yep. And, uh, you know, 20 under 20 lists, 30 under 30, et cetera, and how sometimes they annoy me. You found 35 over 35. Yeah. Which is a list over. of... Yes. Over, in case people missed that. A list of 35 debut authors who are obviously over the age of 35. And if which, you, which I would have been, and I didn't get to be on the list. <laughs> Damn it. Um, if you go to 35over35.com, you can see this year's selections. And anyway, I was just really excited to see that. And I'd like to see more of that kind of stuff. So old people need love too. <laughs> old debut authors need old love debut too. Authors. <laughs> anyway, so shout out to the people behind thirty. Because let's 35. face it, let's face it. If you're like twenty five and you've got a book deal, you're living in a crappy apartment somewhere with ten other people, and, right? And all you need money for is booze and weed. <laughs> but if you're like over thirty five and you're a debut author, you've probably got a mortgage, you got a couple kids, <laughs> one's going off to college, you you've got a probably car written like. At night after your day job. Right. Like you, you really need. We're totally stereotyping You need right the now. acclaim and the money, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, everyone go check them out because I think that's a, a great list. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, do you want to talk about what you're working on right now? I, I've got, there's so much going on there right now. There is a lot. It's really weird. And it's all in this strange state of like, like quantum uncertainty. Yeah. Um, so, I can't say too much, but I'll give people some hints. Um, I've got a, the possibility of a really cool trilogy uh-huh. that I can't say anything about yet, but hopefully soon. All I can say is if this comes to pass, it will be a dream come true. <laughs> um, and then I've got, um, I've got that, that novel that I talked about a while ago that is currently in my agent's hands. Mm-hmm. So we'll see what happens there. It's December. Nothing's going to happen right now, but eventually, <laughs> um, and uh, the big news is people have heard me talk about uh, the book that will kill me. Yeah. Which I have talked about on my blog before, and I believe I've talked about it on this show before. This, for those of you who don't know, is an, an insane 1,000-page long novel that I wrote that I have been trying to publish forever. And publishers read it and say things like, oh, my God, it's brilliant, but I have no idea how to publish it. Um, well, I found a publisher that wants to publish it. <laughs> and I'm... Um, I'm not going to say anything more until we actually have a contract in hand, but they want to do it. They really want to do it. They're really excited about it. I'm really excited. So we'll see. Hopefully news soon. That's awesome. So you yeah, really I do. Mean, that's, yeah. It, it, it's good news. And there are a couple other little things floating on the periphery that may or may not happen. Um, my agent got a weird email from oh, some right. people the other day about something that may involve me and some stuff like that. And, you know, so just stuff floating around out there. We'll see. Um, but I don't think anything's going to happen until probably yeah. late January, early February. This is, uh, we are officially in quiet time for the industry. Yeah. 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 Not my job, but Not for your editorial. Job, but for editorial, yes. just uh-huh. nothing is happening yeah. right now. Everybody's on vacation. Yeah. So, as yeah. we all should be. Yep. Cool. Um, and how about reading? You've been reading something lately. I've this been reading is, a bunch of things. This is it's unusual. Well, no, it is because <laughs> it's been so crazy that I, I haven't had time to even find a book to read, yeah. much less actually sit, actually sit down and read it. Um, but I, I stumbled upon 
uh, an author who I first read back in 1989, a guy named Timothy Hallinan. And I don't even remember how I stumbled upon him now, but I just stumbled upon him and he's still writing books, which is really cool. He's a mystery thriller writer. So I read a book of his called Crashed um, by Timothy Hallinan. It is a, uh, a fun, uh, in a dark way, <laughs> um, thriller. And I read it and enjoyed it. Good. What about you? What are you reading these days? Um, so I just finished, uh, as I mentioned earlier, Songs Without Words by yeah. Ann Packer. And um, I have mixed feelings about Ann Packer's oeuvre generally. <laughs> she wrote The Dive from Clausen's Pier, God, probably 10, 10 years ago or so, which I remember reading and enjoying. And then it was turned into a, a Lifetime movie. Um, and then this is only the second thing I've read from her. And again, it was, just, it was published a couple of years ago. It's not a new release. And uh, I overall, I enjoyed it, but there's, I don't know, there was something about it that, um, I, I guess I should say, I continued reading it, and I did ultimately enjoy it. And there was one character in particular who reminded me immensely of a friend of mine, um, to the point that I'm, like, pulling out passages about her and uh. emailing them to my friend and being like, this is what I think about you, <laughs> which is really funny. It's it's interesting to see to see someone like that reflected in a book. Um but other than that, I've actually been reading a lot. My commute reading hasn't been books. It's been magazines. So um, The New Yorker in particular, which is a favorite of mine. And then I always go in phases of reading it and then not reading it yeah. for like two years and then getting a subscription and then not reading it. And I just want to, uh, in this new Trump world, um, obviously support more quality journalism, uh, which The New Yorker is. And I'm very much enjoying my new New Yorker reading. Cool. Yeah. So... Okay. Well, that is it for us. Happy holidays, everyone. Happy holidays, everyone. And happy new year, too. Yeah. Um, visit us online at writinginreallife.com, where you'll find our show notes and other stuff. Also, follow us on Twitter at WIRL Podcast. And then don't forget to subscribe to us in iTunes. And while you're there, give us a rating. It's the season of giving, so give us a rating. <laughs> Thanks so much, everyone. Have a great day. Happy holidays. Bye. Bye.